Welcome to Newcastle Libraries Real. Newcastle Libraries can be accessed from wherever you live with the Newcastle Library app. Put borrowing at your fingertips. I invite you to close your eyes and imagine. Imagine that there are no buildings, no roads, no cars, just the trees, plants, animals and the very first storytellers of this land, the Awabakal and Waramai people. So I acknowledge them as the traditional custodians of this beautiful land in which we live. Welcome to Newcastle Libraries, your summer stories. Welcome to Your Summer Stories, Newcastle Libraries. Today we'll be speaking with Fleur MacDonald. Fleur has been beloved by readers across Australia since her debut book, Red Dust, published in March 2010. She's now sold over 730,000 copies of her novels and Broad River Station is the 20th novel she's published. To celebrate, she'll be touring across from her hometown in Esperance, Western Australia, through South Australia, Victoria and New South Wales. Thanks for joining us, Fleur. Hello, Sky. As we were saying earlier, I only got my copy on Friday. The publisher had been kind enough to send me an electronic copy, but in order to try and read it on the bus, I was trying to read it on my phone, which wasn't an experience I was loving. (laughs) All these lovely delays are still going on from COVID. Yeah, it's funny because it, it's still affecting us in, in ways you just wouldn't expect. I, I It didn't even enter my mind that it would be affecting the publishing industry. And admittedly, Fleur, this, with all 20 books under your belt, this is the first one I've ever read. I hope you enjoyed it. That would be awesome. <laughs> <laughs> we certainly see lots of your books at work. I think we have all 20 in our branches and I'm forever checking them in and putting them back on the shelves. You're very familiar with your work. And really, I I did, I did really enjoy it. I had a bit of a mental image of what I thought it would be and it wasn't that at all. I I really, it, it was a great read. I'm very urban. So there was a lot of things I really appreciated you spelling out in the book. There's things that I just really didn't understand. (laughs) The only thing I could think of that I'd read that was similar was, did you read The Devil's Grip? It was a non-fiction about a guy that bred award-winning merino sheep, I think they were, in northwestern Victoria and he was gay and then he kind of lost his cool and shot heaps of people. Yeah, Um, well, uh, no, I can't say I've read that one. (laughs) Well, I learned a lot about sheep in that. before the gun laws came in. Yes, yeah. But that's that's about all I kind of know because most of the fiction that I'm reading that's set in Australia is a bit more focused on the crime and less on the environment and the community. And that's what I really found I learned a lot in this one. I'm hesitant to talk too much about the book, just be in pretty broad strokes. It doesn't come into shops until the first week in November. Is that right, Fleur? First of November, yeah. Yeah. And this podcast is due to be released in January. Readers still might not have had a chance to pick it up, so I thought we might just be a bit broad about it. But I wanted to ask a little bit about you. So in finding out a bit more about you, I listened to a couple of podcasts as well that you'd been on. What I was completely unaware of, again, Urban Sky, was just 
this fantastic rural women's network that seems to exist. A lot of the podcasts you've done seem to be really aimed at women living rurally. And I didn't know there was such a thing. I didn't know there were podcasts that aimed at that. And the work that you've then done in relation to DV Assist, I just thought this might be another opportunity for you to tell us about that and so that people around the nation know what resources might be available to them. Yeah, well, timely question really because I got notification on Friday that DBS Sisters had to close its counselling services because oh. they haven't been able to access funding again, So, which is really disappointing because it was a really successful pilot program and yeah, we had had funding. We, I, I had sourced just under $3 million from the federal government three years ago to start DB Assist. I had already put about $50,000 of my own money in. So DB Assist, to make it for your listeners to understand, is a website that it started off as a website with all of the services that were available in particular towns across WA. There's something like 58 towns or areas that is up on the website at the moment. And that website is still staying up with a lot of information about what DB actually is. You can take quizzes to see whether you are in a domestic violence situation. There's checklists about what you're able to take when or what you should take when you leave. Because a lot of people don't think about taking things like birth certificates and passports and, you know, bank statements and, and things like that. So there's a really comprehensive list of, of what you take and if you're going to leave. And so when we got that up and going, I sat on the board. Well, it was got operational for three, two years before I got extra funding because I suddenly realised I couldn't, you know, keep putting all of my money into it. It was going to get bigger than what I could fund. And I always had a dream to take it across Australia because... There is absolutely nothing like DB Assist in Australia before it was started three, four years ago. You know, it's a really unique organisation. And so when I left the organisation, it's been, you know, under a new board's management for two years and they haven't been able to access funding to keep their counselling services going. Now, my idea for the counselling services was always going to be that when we got to a town that there wasn't any services in, which there's lots of little tiny country towns across all of Australia that don't have counselling services. I wanted to put a physical counsellor in that town and then I got to thinking, well, that's probably not going to work because there's always going to be places that people don't want to live. You know, that people don't want to live in Marble Bar and some people won't want to live in Esperance or Albany or wherever. So that was when I came up with the idea of services, like counselling services through the phone and also through web chats. And we got that up and going with the funding that I had sourced from, from the federal government from Greg Hunt when he was still the health minister. But yes, unfortunately, the, the new board haven't been able to get funding. So the counselling services at this point have just closed while they try and access different funding with both governments, both federal and state governments refu refusing to fund it. It's pretty tricky to get that up and going again, but they seem to think that they'll be able to. So just at the moment, they've shut the counselling services. But the website is still there with all of the really other important resources. And, you know, that's available to anybody across the nation because what's, you know, pertinent in WA is also pertinent across all of the all of the country. Absolutely. I'm really sorry to hear that that's happened. What a gaping hole it's left in supporting people trying to 
navigate, escape, whatever they need to do in these situations. It, is, it just seems, it, it, did something comparable come up? Fleur, do you know, is there any, th- is there any organisation that's offering something? No, it's just been no. left. It's just, yeah. And, you know, we're in a really different circumstance in rural Australia to what you, you guys are. In oh, absolutely. Like we've got, farmers have got access to guns, not that, yeah, mm. and that we need to because that is part of our toolkit. If we have to euthanise an animal, we have to have access to firearms everybody knows everybody and all people are intertwined in the country and the and the massive spider webs of relations continue to amaze me about who's related to who and who knows what and you know all that that type of thing and you know the policeman may well be playing football with the person that you want to go to the police about or you know the the nurse that you've had to go and see might be best friends with whoever you know so it's it's always really tricky in the country there's a real lack of anonymity and right down to having cars parked in front of you know the doctor surgery or the counseling services and people suddenly go oh well how come you're there all the time or once a week or or something so yeah it's really frustrating and I sort of feel that uh, the lack of funding isn't necessarily down to the service itself you know there must be other reasons behind it it's really disappointing i really hope that it's it's something that's able to be put back into place as quickly as possible even though i didn't grow up in a rural town i did grow up in a small one and i really do understand everybody knows everybody's business and that is one of the great advantages that tech has actually brought us in our lives is the ability to access services from the privacy of our home. Why not dip your toes into your summer stories from Newcastle Libraries? Simply visit the Library Lounge on the Newcastle Libraries app or the website newcastle.nsw.gov.au slash library. I think to bring it back a little bit to the book, it's very much Mia's experience when she returns to the town she grew up in where people know information about her that she doesn't know. Yeah. yeah how, how often does that happen, you know? Someone down the main street, I remember your grandmother when she did this. And, <laughs> but when, you know, your mother was growing up and she did so, such and such and you go, <laughs> yeah, well, that's probably far too much information to what I need to say <laughs> as, as the daughter. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Yeah, some things you'd be better off not knowing. That's really true. In Broad River Station, I really loved the relationship between Mia and her nana. Did you have a, a special bond with your nan? Because it just made me think about my nan so much. Oh, I did it. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, look, I had two nanas that I had very different but very close relationships with. You know, my nana Parnell, you know, she was the – creative one she was the storyteller of the family and um, probably where I got my love of books and writing and reading from and my nana Heeslip she was the she was the farmer's wife that always had a sponge cake sitting on the kitchen table when you walked in or there was always chocolate chip biscuits in the biscuit container and like a special lemon drink that nana used to make (laughs) in um, mashed potatoes and cold mutton for lunch while we listened to the country hour (laughs) Yeah, so there was, I, I had very special relationships with both of my grandparents, but neither of them raised me like Mia's grandmother has. And it was one of those things where 
while I was writing the book, I actually spent a lot of time thinking about my Nana Heisler and, you know, I found that I was missing her a lot more than, you know, she's been dead for, it must be. Well, Hayden was, my youngest son was nine months old and he's 21 now, so she's been dead for a long time. Um, it never goes away, though, does it? It, it just it doesn't. Um, I really felt like that. My I grew up in a single parent household. My nan really kept us all rolling in those times, and I just yeah, I thought about her so much, and all of those little lovely nana things that you kind of take for granted. I know it's just in in one scene in the book where um, Clara gives Mia just a kiss on the forehead and a hug, and that just really made me miss Nan, you know, yeah. homemade bickies and homemade cordial. <laughs> yeah, Being asked if I wanted chips or veggies with my dinner, I just, oh, what oh, a beauty. you got the choice, chips or veggies. I wouldn't have ever had the choice. It would have just been veggies. There you go, Flo. <laughs> no, she was um, special, my Nana. <laughs> Nana seem to be like the matriarch of the fa families, I think, and they are the they are the glue that holds our family. And and you know when they die, the the um, baton has to get passed over, and sometimes that's a tricky a tricky baton to pass. I think it really is too. It's having that bit removed. I think it's not since I became a mother myself that I realised. I honestly thought that every Christmas when I went to Nan's, I was actually helping make all the fruitcakes and all that sort of stuff. It wasn't until I had kids in the kitchen with me that I realised I really wasn't that helpful. Mm. Being removed from that day-to-day -day parenting and just being able to enjoy time with little people, I think the grandparenting experience versus the parenting one is really mm. different as well. Your patience, your attitude. I see it with my Absolutely. mum. Yeah, absolutely, because grandparents have the time, whereas, you know, we're all still running around holding down a full-time job and paying bills and mortgages, and hopefully grandparents, by the time they are grandparents, they've, they've done all of that and they're able to to have the time. Of course, that's changed again in our world, yes. you know, our modern world, again. Another big change where sometimes, you know, grandparents are still having to work and raise young kids, so they're a very special generation. They certainly are. They certainly are. Now, as I mentioned, this was my first time reading one of your books. And I think I said earlier, 730,000 books. Like, if you're having a bad day, you must just bring that to mind. <laughs> get a bit of a spring you, in your step. No, do you know, I never even think about it. Sometimes I get an email and they say, oh, it's clicked over another whatever, you know, you've sold another what, what and I just go, yeah, okay, that's, I. it's not something that, ever really sits on my mind. It's a lovely recognition when somebody says it, but yeah, don't really think about it too much. The same way as what I don't think about, I just get on, I write the books. So I don't think too much about what happens outside of all of that, because I think if you did, you know, I'm very lucky. I've had an amazing career. So it's very important to stay grounded. Yeah, oh, I think that's incredibly humble. I honestly think if I achieved anything like that, I'd just be boring everyone I met with statistics <laughs> of my awesomeness. Takes, it only takes one bad review to make everything, <laughs> everything back into perspective. Yeah, that's probably true too. Create your own summer stories with Newcastle Libraries through our incredible collections, e-learning resources and summer programs. Find out more at the Newcastle Libraries app or website. I did, again, in 
getting ready to chat to you today, read around a little bit, read your intros and some of the stuff on your website. And in reading it, it was my first introduction to Dave Burrows, who I think might be one of the nicest blokes in fiction. He's he's just so likeable. Everything about him is really nice. And so far away from that twisted, cynical, addicted, stereotype cop character that we get. In some ways, the blokes in Mia's first station, which that was Broad River, wasn't it? Mia's first station, then she moves. They sort of were in lots of ways, I suppose, what you, me, Urban Sky, how I would envisage men of a certain age behaving in a small rural environment. Yeah, you know, some of the guys that gave her the harder time, they weren't necessarily older of or of a certain generation. They were her age and or maybe a couple, two or three years older. And the interesting thing about that is I spoke to a lot of female cops to be able to to get Mia's character right and they, you know, they've said the same thing. That I, th- I think I mentioned in the book there's about three different types of coppers and, and I can't remember them all off the top of my head, but one of the ones that want to protect protect the, their partners which are probably female they wouldn't feel the same if they had a bloke partner but they you know they want to protect the others a protecting father really and then there's another one that just goes well mate you're a female and you shouldn't be here and then there's the cop that just goes oh you're my partner I don't care whether you're male or female and we're just going to get on with with the job of policing and you know Dave is one of those characters that will he's probably got a little bit of oh I might need to protect you or be the dad thing a little bit and you know he does say to me there look if if this is um if I do you know start being protective you know call me on it because um I want you to do your job so I can do mine I need to know that you've got my back Um, because that's how coppers have to work. So in talking to these girls, it was really interesting the way some of the stories that they told me and and the mentality that there can be across any type of male-dominated, you know, organised or industry, I suppose. It's probably no different in farming, really. Yeah, yeah. And uh, thanks for pulling me up on that too, because I think in my mind, when these men were behaving in that way, I just sort of wrote them off as being of a certain age. (laughs) Certainly my experience in in the way I live, it has always been that. Mm. that It's more generations above ours that are still carrying those attitudes. And it's it's really disappointing to know that that's what women are experiencing. I mean, there was something actually quite recently, wasn't there, in relation to surgeons and what it was like for female surgeons as well. It's awful that it's still continuing. And books like the ones you've written all seem to highlight powerful women, independent women, women exploring their own abilities to be powerful and independent Mm. and inspirational, which counterbalance some of the crap that we have to put up with as women (laughs) in this world. And I really, I really did like that. Like I said, I, I really enjoyed Mia and Clara, but I also really enjoyed the relationships that, um, Kim, Dave's wife had both with the wife of his former partner, Jack, was that Zara? 
Zara, yeah, the journalist, yeah. Yeah, and then her her beautiful just immediate acceptance of Mia in contrast to what she'd been through in that previous station with you know all of the issues both at work and that she experienced at home where people thought it was a bit of fun to yeah. tease her. And we have a similar setting but an environment that encourages people to be kind and look look what a difference it can make. I think fostering kindness is the only way that we should be living really and you're only going to get the best out of people if you're kind or, you know, uh, and if there's a problem to sit down and talk it through. And, and, you know, there's plenty of Dave and Kim's around in real life and that's how... Yeah, that's really how we should all be operating. I know that that's not always the case, and yeah. that's the perfect world. And and um, but you know, the one thing about fiction is that you can uh, you can create a perfect world inside a flawed world and show people how things can go better if in in different ways. Um, but you've still got a flawed world and bringing all the normalness of the world into into the fiction. So and you know, Dave being the sort of character that he is, never would have tolerated anybody less than somebody like him in his relationship. Um, you know, he's early, it's actually really interesting to where Dave's got to in his journey because in the, the early Dave Burroughs books, which is like the um, Fool's Gold and, and the ones that come out in April, you know, he's a real hothead and he has totally been burnt by his ex-wife and his ex-father-in-law and he totally could have turned bitter and twisted but there's this beautiful saying that I read once that said you either get bitter or you get better yeah. and I love that and yeah. I had to apply that to myself because some of the things I've been through I could have got very bitter and I, that's where I think you know writing Dave's story not only you know has it created this beautiful character that's a really strong masculine still flawed character but it's also then helped me recognize what I need to do in my life to make sure that, that I'm I don't get bitter yeah yeah I think that's something for all of us to keep in the back of our minds too we've all got something that could make us feel that way mm. and make that become the dominant emotion we experience yeah. I, I just really liked you I intend on going back to the first because they're listed here so starting with fool's gold and running through because i i did i've that's the sort of fiction that i really enjoy and i also noticed that must have been on your website i think when i was having a look that you quite enjoy a bit of crime fiction and mystery yeah that's the only really genre that i really like like i, I do like general fiction I'm, I'm not a huge romance fan i just i, I don't like reading a book where I know what once I finish reading the first chapter, I know what's going to happen in the end. Mm. Um, and I'm like that with crime. I'm really fussy about what I read. And if I get to the end of a crime book and I haven't worked out who the, the baddie is, it's pretty unusual. Uh, and I love it when I get a book like that. Uh, but, you know, for me, having been through some pretty crappy times in my life, one, I don't believe in romance. And two, <laughs> murder is very safe. Murder is very safe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, better not bitter, better not bitter. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> uh, we've got two other Australian crime authors on our list for this year. We've got Chris Hammer's new book, mm. The Tilt, yep. and we've also got Gary Disher, Day's oh, End. Yeah. 
Yeah, so, I love both of those authors. So Gary Dish's writing I've only just discovered in the last um, probably 12 months and I actually interviewed him on my Wines and Storyline um, Facebook Live thing that we do every so often and I love his the way that he's um, his settings are characters in his books and Chris Hammer's the same. His settings are characters as well. You know, they really focus on as well as the crime but the community and the setting that the crime's been in. You can live and breathe and smell the dust and the dirt in their writing, especially Gary's, you know, where he's lived in some of those areas with the, you know, I can't say his um, detective's name that starts with H. Hirsch, Hirsch. Let's just call him Hirsch. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. right. That's him. He lived up the Barrier Highway and that for a little while. So, and so that's why Hirsch is. Um, character and his um, and his setting is so strong. Yeah, and I, I really feel like Gary Disher is one of the. He's very underrecognised. Yes, absolutely. We certainly see that a lot in the libraries where once we've given him as a recommendation to somebody that we know particularly is interested in Australian literature or crime fiction, they come back going, how much more has this guy written? I want to read it all. But yeah. Speaking of the landscape as a character, that's sort of eventually where I was trying to go because it's very much very true in this book and from what I was reading of your previous work, it's it's a really big part. It's a character in, in all of your books but very much also in all of your life, of, of your experience. Your love of it really comes through, Fleur. It's, it's really beautiful. It, your descriptions of the wildflowers and the way Clara, you know, Mia can say, oh, there was these purple flowers and Clara knows exactly where they are, what they are, and can give her all the information about it. I think that did a really great job too of painting that picture of generations and generations remaining in the same area where knowing what grows when, what birds show up when, Clara can smell the rain a day before it comes. That generation also walked the land a lot more than what we do now. And we can immerse ourselves in land, which, you know, I do. And I often, <laughs> I get told off, I've got a, I said to a mate, I was on the phone to a mate the other day, and I said, oh, some of the biggest tiger snakes I have ever seen just back there. And they said to me, are you stomping through the books, but bush with your thongs on again? I, no, 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 no. I'm actually in the car this time, but yeah, I, you know, I do. I know every inch of my farm the way that, like, it's my house, I guess. Uh, and I know what, but, but not. So my generation, the generation before, is like that. You know, our younger generation, my kids' generation, they, uh, yeah, they probably walk the beaches and still see, see nature, but. I'm not sure because they're, you know, on their phones and everything. They yeah. have got lots of things to focus on that's not necessarily, you know, this, the, the bush. And, um, you know, my nana used to take me mushrooming. So we would go, we would walk through, you know, the paddocks that weren't that far away from, and the creeks and everything to get to these mushrooms that would grow in the middle of the paddock. Used to wonder how on earth they would get out there. But, you know, we walked the land and we, we looked and we noticed and, and we stopped and we're not as busy maybe back then to what we are now. And for me, that's what I love about the land. You know, um, there's 
always something new and there's always something changing. And even though the Flinders Ranges, which I where I set a lot of these books, is the same age as what all of Australia is, um, I just find that they seem so ancient and wild. Um, yeah, it's just an incredible part of Australia, as is the north of, of WA, but so incredibly different to where I live now, you know, that's lush and green and it's, what is it, it's the 24th of October and it's raining outside, it's freezing cold. <laughs> supposed to be harvesting weather, which is, you know, above 30 and sunshining. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, so it's just there's beauty wherever you go. And if I can take that to people that don't necessarily get to travel, well, then I'm, I'm very lucky to be able to do that. Well, I think you do an absolutely excellent job of it. I'm just getting the wind-up flare, but quickly I wanted to ask you, um, when you say you know every inch of your property, I'm pretty sure that one of the things I listened to said you had like 2,000 or 3,000 acres. Is that uh, right? I've got, uh, well, I've actually got more than that. I've got 2,000 acres <laughs> that are just, just here in Esperance and I've got 7,500 acres, which is this place called Goodlands, which is like way in the middle of nowhere, almost station country, but it's still cropping country. So north of Kalani, um, north of Perth. Oh, so, yeah. I just, I, I, you know, I, I just find that amazing. <laughs> that, that is, it's such a bloody enormous number for someone that's always lived i keep repeating it in an urban environment a, a big block like quarter acre blocks don't exist in the suburbs i live in anymore <laughs> yeah so the idea of knowing every inch of so many thousands of acres is is just fantastic in one of the other books i know that we're getting the wind up but just quickly in one of yeah. the other books i wrote about a girl that hadn't been home for a really long time and yet her body tensed for every pothole, her body knew where the potholes were, where the bumps were, you know, where the ramp was, all that stuff. And that's so true for somebody that loves their land. Yeah, that's a really, really good point. The other thing I wondered, because I couldn't find anything about it, was I just assumed that your work would make great movies or miniseries for telly. Have you been approached for that kind of thing? Oh, we've had a couple of, no, I don't know you'd say approach. Yeah, I suppose that we, we've pitched a few times, but we haven't really got anywhere with it. Yes, I'd love to see them um, yeah. turned into movies, and I do think that they would make good movies. And there's enough of them now to have, you know, lines there. So we'll just have to keep trying on that. Yeah. Well, you'd think Tourism Australia would be interested in it too <laughs> because it would be a wonderful way to show the beauty of rural mm. Australia to the world. Yeah. Fleur, I've got so many more questions and I'm really sorry it's gone so quickly. Thank you so much for your time. It's been an absolute pleasure to meet you and to read your work. Great. Thank you very much for having me. Thanks for listening to Your Summer Stories from Newcastle Libraries. Why not take a dip and a sip, then rate and review us wherever you listen. This has been a Newcastle Libraries Real Production.